lot of it is also just based off how annoying people are when they're in my games. Um, like, like annoying. Wait, say more. Say more. Say more. Like, like annoying in terms of to like play against Nias and like you're at their yapping or something like that. Oh, um, okay, okay. <laughs> I thought you're like, man, these guys are like my <laughs> least favorite streamers, and I'm like, you know what? Outside yeah, of Weijin, no, I'm like, I, I can see um, it out of the top five. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome back for another episode of Don't Talk If You Don't Know, the unofficial official podcast dedicated for all things high-level teamfight tactics in North America. And today's another episode where we review and look back about one of the most fun events of the set. In fact, the only major event of the set so far in Horizon Unbound. It was the Noxus Cup. Joining me this week is a special guest host. It's not Bryce, who is still kind of weaving through paternity leave. See if you can squeeze in any time for TFT. We got the show host himself, Nick Gangly Pasquale. Nick, welcome to the show for the first time. Yep, thank you. Thank you. Very, very happy to be here. Long time fan of the show. So appreciate the uh, opportunity to be on. Yes. Uh, and actually, it's not technically his first time. He's been on in other capacities, like when we did like the Summit Review, for example. Um, and for people who don't know, uh, Gangly is multi-talented. He was hosting the desk the virtual desk um for the competition over the weekend but also a uh, filmographer a producer he also ran the tacticians crown event which we'll talk a little bit about uh, on this episode he also designed the graphics of the show the look in the field so if you're like oh you know like this is cool you guys at your own vibe and color stuff that was gangly's artistic vision so thank you man for uh putting this all up for us of course all right, so uh, we have two guests today. On the review of the episode, we'd like to introduce newer faces to the scene, uh, assuming it wasn't just outright won by like Kerm and Robin, for example. We did have them on a reviewed episode. Uh, this week, we got Philip as our first guest, fresh off of a strong finish in the Noxus Cup. Philip, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Hey, Fernand. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I'm doing well. All right, great man of many words. This is going to be great. Uh, X Niamo, how are you doing? Welcome to the show. A person that actually I don't feel like people didn't really know, um, but you've been competing for quite some time. I remember seeing you a few sets ago, right? Competing things like it's a finale in set six. Uh, so welcome to the show. Why don't you introduce yourself uh, for anybody who's never met you before? Oh, okay. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I'm X Niamo. I've been playing TFT since like set i think it was three 3.5 um i started playing competitive in like set five i think and so that's been kind of on and off so i don't play like every tournament because sometimes i just quit the set halfway through but mm. yeah. okay okay interesting interesting so i kind of want this to be a little bit about both of your journeys as well i kind of went to x me and would be like you know tell us a little bit about yourself too uh philip you've kind of been a name that's been around a lot i think people primarily see you in chat or in some, you know, participating in these cups, or maybe even uh, you, you know, beating some of their favorite streamers from time to time on solo queue, whatnot. So why don't you just introduce uh, yourself as well to anybody who's never seen you before? All right, yeah, thank you. I'm Philip. Um, I mean, I've been playing TFT since set one. I think my first competitive experience was some of the liquid qualifiers in like set four. Um, but I've only really seriously, seriously been playing competitively the last like. Uh, two three sets i was kind of a day resident of day one uh set seven and eight uh made it day four the last tournament of set eight and then this uh, i've been doing uh i think like my best so far placed ninth in freliard and you know just went third in Noxus cup so you know happy i'm improving and hopefully can keep it up okay what what's really inspired you to 
transform you know level up from being just a casual twitch chatter if you will to now qualified for regionals oh i mean i don't really like to say anything inspired me i mean i was i was always down to be better i think i just wasn't playing super well um i think part of it is i've met like a lot of people through the tft community that have definitely helped me um and i think part of it is just you know i've been playing for a while and improving uh and yeah i think the meta this last cup was really good for me as well i think i could, had a good meta read so got lucky with that okay okay and we'll dive a little bit more into that as well uh so uh Nyam, i think a lot of people like don't really know even how serious you are about tft you say that like you know you kind of quit halfway through are you full-time working are you a student what do you do outside of tft oh i'm a i'm a graduate student so uh tft is kind of just like my hobby um obviously i put a lot of effort into it when i'm competing it's i think more so for me it's like sometimes i just get really tilted at the game and i'm just like i'm gonna walk away okay <laughs> and, tell me a time yeah. when that actually happened when you were like what said it was it like what happened when you just oh, like got so tilted yeah, you had mean, to quit? yeah like i think the most recent time was actually set nine because uh i think it was like okay so what happens with me is that sometimes like you know you know you, you kind of like you're grinding ranked and then you, you go on those you like go on like a minus 300 lp streak um and you don't know what you're doing wrong because everything just feels like it doesn't go your way uh, i think that happened like the middle of set nine so i was just like you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna I'm take a breather okay okay um, but did you ultimately enjoy set nine because i feel like most people really love set nine i think 9.5 is not necessarily vibing with a lot of people but i think a lot of people like set nine at least uh yeah i mean i, I had I, I liked set nine it's just for me uh it's more like me being frustrated like not necessarily at the game but like at how i'm playing the game and not really understanding like it, it's like you know when you're uh on tilt and you just are obviously making mistakes but you're like you can't process what those mistakes are because you're on tilt mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's really that that's like the most frustrating things for me um and i think uh, so usually like taking like just not playing the game for like a month or two like kind of resets and with the way like tft sets come out because like each set or half set is like a new or kind of new thing it, it, it acts as sort of like a natural refresher for me to like get back into it because it's like everyone restarts so Niamo, i remember um in set six so set six was kind of the first time i started tracking stats right and i remember i was doing some prep for boop and crowin for one of the tournaments they were casting and i want to say it might have been dawn cup and you were one of the players i had pointed out because at that point in time if if I remember correctly, you you made like top eight or like really close to top eight in one of the set five tournaments. I think it was Dawnbringer Cup. You did really well in that one. And then you made third day at mid-set finale in set five. And then you made final day at Piltover Cup at the beginning of set six. And so you actually kind of had this very, very consistent trend that continued all the way through set six, right? Ultimately, you made mid-set finale. I don't think you made regionals, but... After set six, it did feel a little bit like we haven't seen you. I don't know if it's like as dedicated, but we, you haven't really posted those same results. How much of that do you think is like an actual dip in performance versus not taking the game as seriously? Because it does feel kind of like disconnected versus how successful you were in set five and six. 
Right. I think um so like set five was like the first time I was like really tryharding for competitive. And I think like what frustrated me was just not like consistently getting to find a lobby and things like that. And so I think I, I probably was a little like demoralized like after like two sets of that. But the other thing is that I think Lost Ark also released sometime in oh. between there. So I definitely I definitely didn't play half a set because of that game. Oh. Um, every every yeah. player I, I ever is. highlight is doomed by Lost Ark. Yeah. It's it's my curse. Okay, okay, here's a question. Who's better at Lost Ark, you or Soulless? Oh, probably Soulless. I, I don't play that game anymore either. So. Oh, okay, but at your peak, at your peak, at your peak. Uh, I, I don't know. I've never seen Solus play. Oh, interesting, interesting. Okay, who's better at TFT? Yeah. You or Solus? Oh. I don't know, because, like... Okay, so, like, whenever Solus is streaming TFT, I can't tell if he's trolling or not, because a lot of times... <laughs> <laughs> no, like, I think, what, last patch, it was, like, Rogue 2020, and I was like... That's like a little too far, no? <laughs> yeah, rogues are like, like, like Taco Bell Wi-Fi. Like, it's because he has, he has yeah. a brand. He has a reputation to uphold. He plays one right. cost assassin rule. That's just like his thing. Solus can do whatever he wants, but I feel right. like sometimes he just chooses the path of like most destruction. Like he just whatever he does is like as if it's upsetting people, he's getting people to react. He's like living rent free in people's mind. He signs up for also according to dish soap and all of them he's apparently their monkey right like what that means is uh it, it, when he like basically limit test things for them like hey i have this really like, ridiculous idea maybe you try out i don't know re-roll orion or something like that your soul is go jam games and he'll he'll actually go do and sacrifice his lp while everyone else just sits so uh very very funny I, but i don't know what led him to play so many rogues i was confused too did you run into him a lot on ladder is that what happened um maybe the thing is like i feel like for the for having a rogue player in your lobby isn't really that annoying just because there's like a fixed positioning against rogues and so like for the most part it's annoying on stage like three really when um, they start first getting online yeah yeah but otherwise you're pretty happy to have a rogue player in your lobby i think um because like i think like four out of five games you'll outplace them and then the fifth game they high roll and hit three star everything and win the game which is fine but as long as you're like paying attention it's actually kind of good to have a rogue player okay okay got it got it uh well that's interesting you're not a rogue player how would you actually define your approach and style to tft um so like preference wise i definitely prefer like sort of the fast eight type comps um I used to be a little too stuck in that mindset, so like I, I'm much better about just rerolling, like last patch because you have to. Mm -hmm. Basically, like, like uh, there's been reroll patches in the past, uh, like I don't know, like what was like set five with the uh, like the Cavaliers, like Cav oh brand, misfortune calves, oh, oh yeah. You know, I would just like refuse to play it because I was like, I don't want to press D or yeah, but uh. I think I think after like I don't know, just like I think my uh, sort of mental view on TFT has matured a bit, so I'm I'm just like cool with everything now. But I, I definitely prefer playing sort of the fast eight or okay. fast carry comps. And Philip, what do you? So you said that you had a good meta read. Are you like more 
do you think you flourish more in like this environment where reroll is like good or is that just is, are you, are you are like how, how would you actually categorize your strength as a player i mean i i think i'm pretty adaptable what i meant by the meta read comment was sort of just uh i feel like my tf read last patch was pretty good um i know like x Yama had the same one and i think milk was running it too um and like i don't know i guess that's something we can talk about more later but i, I guess for me as a player um i'm pretty flexible in between patches like with regard to my play style well, i think i mean real is like a little bit easier to play but i i kind of just like playing uncontested comps um so off meta you like to play off meta no i like to play meta but i i like just taking like the the meta like uh like like the the meta comp that's hopefully uncontested in the lobby sort of like sacking out a little bit and then winning out because like it's a little bit overtuned. okay so it's not off meta at all you like playing the the op stuff no yeah i'm not smart enough to play off meta <laughs> okay well at least you're honest at least you're honest Okay, so let's go ahead and uh, like just catch up on some of the news and recap. That was just a little introduction to get to know Philip and Ex-Niamo. Uh, the big thing on everybody's mind, 1320 is live. Now, the thing about 1320 is that we have uh, once more a release patch where there's uh, one composition that sits head and shoulders above everybody else. That's multicasters currently. You may have actually seen Milk today climb almost to rank one purely off of one tricking it. He played 11 or 12 games or so. Almost took rank one, was one final game off. Um, but he basically averaged like a 3.0 or something like that. Climbing with multicasters, it's pretty crazy. With changes to Sona and buffs uh, across the board to like a bunch of other adjacent units, uh, multicasters are pretty insane. Now, that being said, the data says that. I saw one streamer do it. I, I watched a little bit of Setsuka before the show started. It seemed like he's trying not to play that. Are people overreacting? Is is it actually really just multicaster spam? Or do you think the, the knee-jerk reaction is justified? I'll start off with Philip. I mean, I think Milk is definitely really good at multis. Um, I mean, he was playing it a lot last patch, too. I saw him angle Tia from some, from some crazy spots. Uh, I think, like, a B-patch is definitely needed um like I, I don't think it's too much of a knee-jerk reaction i think it's definitely strong but, i mean you brought up setsuko obviously like, setsuko can play whatever they climb that guy's a beast uh yeah okay okay and uh niyama do you agree do you think the b patch is necessary or were you like nah actually i want to wait to see more before because this is the regionals patch this is the reason why it's important is because you have to remember this is the patch that's gonna be played on regionals as well Oh, I, uh, yeah, no, there definitely needs to be a B patch. I've, I've played a few games of multicasters before this podcast, and, like, I was streaking with, like, a one-star board and a Velkos 2 on, like, stage 4 and 5, and then it's just like, ah. hello? <laughs> okay, okay, so multicasters are good, Is but let's say the, um, let's say the B patch comes, and it only nerfs multicasters. Are we worried about anything else? People are speculating about Neela, for example. Is Neela too good with the RFC Giant Slayer stacking and anything like that? Um, or is there other sleeper things that just aren't getting attention because multicast is still in the spotlight? I think that Nyla comp is definitely something I played a lot last week. Um, didn't really get nerfed. I know X Niyama played it a lot as well. I expect them to hit it on the B patch. I'd be surprised if they didn't. If they don't, I think it's definitely going to be like dominant when, with a Sona and multicasters nerfed. Yeah. Yeah, because it, it's one of the matchups right one of the comps right now that has a like a decent matchup into multicasters mm -hmm. but that's really only because multicasters is going to be like four-way contested um 
but yeah, I mean, I think so. I I didn't actually know about that comp until like the day of Noxus. I had to like learn it the day after after day three. But um, it's like I, I my read on that was like it was probably like sleeper OP last patch because it only came out like towards the end of it, and it didn't get changed at all. So it's probably if ner multicasters get nerfed, it's probably the strongest comp on the patch without changes. I mean, here's the thing, man. It's uh, the comp. Okay, because I was actually in your boat as well. Because like it was like a day or two. I, I actually found it out about two days before uh, the final weekend when I was uh, playing in Noxicup as well. Um, and it's just it, the reason why I think it just went under the radar and still might might be was because last patch it was so hard to hit. It was so hard to hit because too many people were angling like Zaya and even some people who occasionally play like vertical Bilgewater or whatnot or Chogat uh, Bruisers taking Sejuani's. It just felt like you couldn't actually hit consistently. But if it's less contested because people don't want to play Zaya, then that might actually come to the forefront. So I think it actually could end up being uh, very, very strong. I agree. I agree. Um, either way, we don't know what the B patch is. Riot's been working on it all day. Don't no need to breathe down their necks. I think they know the meta is not great. More put out a tweet actually, Gangly. Did you see that? You're saying I was like, actually about to ask. No, I didn't know. Did did they officially uh, acknowledge that there's a hotfix coming? Yes. I mean, it's not a hotfix. Hotfix implies that it'll come in like... It's just different technological terms. I can actually look it up real quick because I remember more tweeted like an hour ago or so, or a couple hours. He said, quick note, the team right now isn't really reading much. Oh yeah, like they're GFD players after all. Uh, we're hard at work on the B patch and set 10, so heads are super focused for those defending the team. Appreciate the trust a lot, we really do. To those angry, I get it. But also, maybe chill a bit? Okay, back to work. Which is, um, I think, a pretty good summary of it. I mean, I do think that people are very angry, but it feels like people's attitude are, it's, it's, it's like a buildup, right? It's not an isolated incident. It's that I think consistently we've had some pretty big misses on balance, I think, all throughout this set. I think most players, Gangly, are pretty upset because it's just happening over and over and over, and it feels like things aren't getting better. I mean, I, I feel like... Uh, without trying to draw like too much negativity to the balance team, it feels like since set seven, this has been a very consistent trend. Obviously, it's not every patch, but I feel, and maybe maybe this is revisionist history, but in my mind, like I, I don't remember us needing as many B patches and hot fixes in like sets four, five, and six, because I feel like the ones that did, it was almost like such a huge deal, right? You think War Week, and you think War Week again, right. and then you know you have like the or Bilge Water. <laughs> But, but like seven, seven, eight, nine, it feels like it's more often than not that, that a patch releases that has some glaring issue that needs to be either hot fixed or be patched, which, you know, I, it, it's a complicated game. Like we all get that, right? It's, it's an impossible game to balance, really hard to see these things up front. Um, and so it, it's one of those things where it's like, I think it's completely valid to be frustrated by it. Especially if you're, you know, for instance, an LCQ player, right? Like, this is your chance to get your last-minute practice in. We don't know if the B patch is coming in this week or next week. Do LCQ players need to be grinding right now? Like, how much does the meta shift tomorrow if the B patch comes? Um, Man. So, you know, it, it's valid. That's the big thing that gets me, is that tonight is the DSG Trials Qualifier. After this podcast ends, I'm going to do a watch party to, to, to track it. But man, I don't know if it's going to be... <laughs> I don't know if it's going to be an enjoyable experience for a lot of people who are grinding for uh, the disguised 
trials, which for people who don't know is a qualifier for uh, an opportunity to be signed as a uh, pro player under their org, which is really cool. For people who don't know, it's from Disguised Toast. They run uh, an esports org, a losing, <laughs> a losing pro uh, proposition, but they're doing a bunch of cool initiatives under like Valorant and League of Legends, and now they're entering TFT, which is really cool. Are you are you two playing in it, by the way? Philip and Ixniamo? I, I hopefully am. I mean, I'm I'm signed up. I'm in the range right now. I'm sitting. I'm hopefully not playing again today on the patch. Um, I did grind until like 4 a.m. last night so that I didn't have to play today. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, uh, okay. Nice. Yeah, I'm going to be grinding uh, some multicasters after this podcast. <laughs> oh, oh, my Dan, God. I just put out a tweet. Did you see this? Yes, oh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, I am going to actually change this right here, right now. Wow. People would think, is this pre-recorded? No, sir. We're about to do it live. All right, give me two seconds here. Because uh, more dog tweet is literally a minute ago. Okay. <clears throat> so, sorry about that. Okay, so here is the B patch. Wow, you guys get live reaction. Wow, this is the first time for uh, Don't Talk If You Don't Know, an actual patch notes review uh, live during the show because this happened less than, than 60 seconds ago. Uh, Azir got buffed. Attack speed from 0.75 to 8.8. Uh, Fiora resistances got buffed. Challengers were performing abysmally, by the way. It was the worst comp in the game. 5.3 average at Masters Plus. It was beyond terrible. The win rate... Win rate of challenges are already really low. It was 6%. 5.3 average placement. It was beyond terrible. I was like, I, I'm not clicking this unit. Kaisa got buffed as well. So a double buff to challengers. Neela got nerfed. Her cleave damage tuned down from 65 to 55. Stacking attack speed is now nerfed by 10% from 20 to 18. And then TF damage got... Whoa. Holy moly. It went from 210 slash 315 to 185 slash 275 big time nerfs at one and two costs uh then we have multicasters effectiveness now re uh reduced or increased rather which means that they deal less damage on their second cast and then radiant redemption got nerfed so they nerfed twisted fate they're nerfing multicaster trait itself they're nerfing galio's rating item reducing it from 300 to 200 health and reducing the damage reduction and then they Tweak some augments. Demon Flayer got nerfed. Thank God, because Demon Flayer is way too OP. I don't know if that's actually enough, but we'll see. Uh, Petricide Shackles, which is the Demacia trait only. And then the big kahuna. I actually heard whispers and rumors about this. They straight up disable scope weapons. Oh, man. Let's go to the, the biggest scope weapons abuser on this call. Philip. how do you feel about scope weapons? Are you are you shaking for regionals now? Sweet, I'm the biggest. I thought that was X Niamo. I'm a flexible player. Oh, no X Niamo, are you shaking now? What? Oh, I don't know. Wait, how many times have I played? I played it like twice. <laughs> I, I, I remember this guy. I call that taking advantage of an opportunity. Every uh, game, we're the same legend playing the same comp. This guy's holding extra Nyla on bench. I think he hit Sejuani 3 on stage 4 versus me. Yeah. <laughs> Did he? I'm pushing the abuser title onto him, not me. Okay, okay, okay. This is in tournament? This is in tournament? Hello, yeah, is this uh, in the like, Nox Cup? Yeah, yeah, because I, I mean, I started off, you know, like with a first. I see Setsuka win first. I know I need like another first. And then I see stage 4, Sejuani 3, you know? Wow. Oh, that, How did yeah, that happen? Was that, was that, like, was that a, like a shifting sands game, Niamh, or what? No, it was a infernal contract bailout. Ah, the classic, nice. the classic. Nice. Deal with the devil. All right. I, mean, I, I 
think am I, I I might be missing something. Did because I haven't I haven't actually seen any TFT since the patch drop today. Just because I was working. Is there did something happen with scoped weapons that I that I missed? It's more that scope weapons is just a problematic. Like if you hit it, the effectiveness of your comp. It's not even just okay, double. Yeah, it's yeah. actually like an entire dimension of power because you're really stable on one star. And as you know, most comps uh, right now, if you play four costs, are heavily dependent on hitting the two star version of it. Um, so like a one star Mord is like obscenely stable with it. Uh, Neela can actually do some pretty illegal things as well. If you're playing the Twisted Fate version, you're able to get like the whole board windshield wiping. So uh, I, I agree that it's a problem. Straight up disabling it. I mean, okay, they have two options. One, they could take a very aggressive nerf to make sure that it's not a problem. Two, they could take a light conservative nerf and then have like the equivalent of the nerf to Cho'Gath or something like that, which really didn't do anything. Uh, I know still really good. Uh, or three, they can just straight up disable it. And I think they took the most safe approach because this is the patch that's going to be competitive for everybody. Um, this is what qualifies for the world championships. This is what determines the end of the season for a lot of people. Uh, I think they just want it to be a good play experience. I, I, I'm okay with it. I, I think it's like a thumbs up from me, but I'm like, a little, I, I kind of wish we didn't have to disable scope weapons. It is one of the coolest augments they've ever made. Um, for like I, feel a gold like the, I like the idea of scoped is cool, but like, I feel like in the current state, I mean, just with the champs in the game, you end up just taking it to abuse some like broken kind of uninteractive stuff with, you know, solely Mordekaiser yeah. and Isla. You never really get to this like uh, our fantasy of like having other champs like flexing in and out. It's just those two. So, uh, you know, I'm fine with it. Yeah, yep, yep, fair enough, fair enough. Okay, so Philip, overall, you approve of this patch? Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't have to play this weekend, so like, I'm down to see how it how it. <laughs> out. Like, I don't, I'm down to have everybody else, you know, uh, test that out for me. He's got 16 solos, is the monkey for him. I like it. <laughs> uh, Niamo, thumbs up, thumbs down. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it looks good. Uh, I like the Azir buff because that unit has not been a unit for the whole set. Or whole half set, so maybe it'll be a uh, be a clickable unit now. So there's a I lot of belief go. that it's just that the Zir can be good. It's just that fights just end too quickly, right? The the burst is too high. There's too much AOE from things like the Nila, or there's just like too much high burst from multicasters or um, rogues get to your backline type of thing. Like you just never have the time for the Zir to actually like ascend and get the soldier stacking. Um, Maybe maybe this helps just enough. We'll see. And I, I do want challenges to be better. I just want the four cost gangly to be playable. Like I, I, I don't know. I don't know how it was for you, but like um, watching so much reroll. It's not that the thing is each lobby in itself had diversity, but each lobby was playing like the same type of thing. There's always like one Cho player. There's always like one Rogue player. There's always like an open fort like Nila and Vanquisher player. There's a high roll Vanquisher player, and then there's some like reroll like you know Nico or something like that. And that was like every lobby. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know if you got to see the lobby that was, because it was on broadcast, so I'm assuming you didn't get to see it, but it was like six Vanquisher players. Wait, <laughs> really? Game. Yeah, <laughs> and it, was, it, was, it actually was such a cool game, though. Well, no, it actually wasn't that cool, but it turned into something interesting because um, everybody, there's six Vanquisher players. Asa gets dropped double. Uh, he has three tomes, I think, off the start or something like, or like Maybe he takes prismatic tome and then get drop the tome whatever it is he ends up with like a vanquisher emblem and a challenger emblem and then i think he has another vanquisher emblem but then he hits salvage bin on four two and just plays challengers with a fawn and everyone else just doesn't hit because they're all contesting vanquishers oh that's it was, fun it was 
Yeah, it was it was pretty wild. There was something crazy like that. But I going off of what you said, what what stood out to me from the, the weekend was that uh, I don't know if it's a lack of transformative emblems or what it whatever it is, but something about this weekend watching it all play out. It I, I agree with you completely. It did feel like every lobby complexion kind of returned to the same form. We didn't yeah. really see any crazy like. I don't know, mind-boggling comps that, like, you just didn't really see coming. Everything felt kind of formulaic, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing, but, like, it, it is nice when you get to see the more transformative stuff that makes, like, one person in the lobby really stand out instead of, like, I don't know, seeing the same X number of comps, even if it's a healthy number of comps played, you know, every every single game. So, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I wish we could, we, we could see a little bit more diversity game to game i agree i, I, I agree i feel like the issue with that is that the current state of the game really rewards committing on two one with the narrowness of uh carry itemization um i mean like i can speak to my own game plan going and i i had like i don't know like five or six lines i was willing to play and i just look around on like two one two two with like tf and figure out which one was like relatively uncontested that i had a decent spot for and we'll just play that. Like, I wasn't really trying to play anything transformative because, like, I'm, I'm not trying to slam, like, Mastery Stage 2 and then just, like, never hit, like, an Azir or, like, hit a Azir 2 and just, like, bleed out because the, the comp's not very good, right? I'd rather just play some, like, optimized line with optimized uh, BIS. Yeah, yeah, I think that's totally fair. I think it's, like, I think a lot of the... There's, like, one or two items that could be shared across multiple trees. I think, I mean, you actually described one of them. Nashers is actually one of the more flexible AP uh, items, but... It's like it kind of stops around there because uh it's like right now you pretty much would just play Nashers on like Soraka or Azir and like maybe, maybe if challengers were more playable from a temple position in the past, you could put it on like Kaisa. Um, but then like they kind of want different things at the top end. Uh and so it didn't actually feel like if you had to pivot, it was almost like too late if you committed to a certain amount of items. Um that's also problematic because of the way uh legends are structured as well. So uh, but that being said, we can just go ahead and recap since we, we talked about the weekend. You mentioned Asa. Asa barely missed out on the day three cuts. Tied with Frodan at 27 points, Gangly. I was so upset. Uh, but it's all good. It's all good. It was actually a great tournament. Um, and also, looking back on it, uh, a lot of people actually got day three, right? You look at Wajin Iverson, 23, uh, 24 points. Robin at 23 points, although Robin's told me ahead of time he's like hey actually I'm, I'm not taking this cup like super duper seriously in terms of like prepping for it. i'm gonna go and uh meet up with some friends the night before so don't draft me for fantasy he told me that after i picked him uh ramblin who got 25 points pretty close appy's had uh one of his weaker performances i think in terms of the results he started off pretty good and then kiyu it almost went dead last as well and he was telling me that he like completely bombed it seemed like it was a very competitive uh, field, but also that I feel like um, a lot of big names exited early, man. I feel like there's a lot to dig in on on what happened to day three. Like even being on the desk, it's funny. Like in my in my prep notes that I was, you know, obviously we we write up certain stories for certain players, and what I kind of did was wrote like worst case scenario for for different players, and I wrote for you and like just don't go last. Like for Phoenix and Junis, <laughs> like just don't go eighth. Literally, don't go eighth, and you're fine. And Kuhn. I mean, it, it sucks because Kuhn 
is coming off the back of making this return that is quite frankly, like at least in my opinion, before this cup, his best competitive set to date. I actually like, which is kind of interesting to say because I think people think of Kiyun as like one of the greats of TFT. He's so big, people remember him, the set three international event that he won against China and, you know, being the mech player and all that. But Kiyun, quite frankly, never had like a super um, complete season and it felt like he was actually on track to do that this time so it really sucked to see him bomb out the way he did um and then i believe ultimately did not qualify to regionals right he's he's no he, he's playing in lcq this weekend yeah so it it, it really sucked to see q not be able to pull it together there, there was one thing i did want to ask you though dan if you don't mind like kind of digging into your run because oh, okay you've okay. obviously you you've competed at quite a few of these now this is your first time making final weekend and you looked quite dominant weekend one and yeah. then obviously were, were you, you obviously were good enough to make day four you're you were tie breaked out right so i'd love for you to kind of speak on your your sure, sure. For the weekend so my weekend uh i actually walked away pretty satisfied um this was so for one thing i just want to say new high score for a tft caster what up bryce blum you got to day three but you got smoked both times I got to carry us once again over the finish line. I guess it's up to me to get to day four. Uh, but on a more serious note, uh, I, I could have made it, man. You're right. I could have made it. I clearly can hang. But every game except for the last one, I left placements on the table. There was moments where I was just like, like, dude, like, okay. I was one of like the only people. I was one of the few people who are willing to play Piltover. I think a lot of people just don't want to play Piltover because there's so many ways you can get griefed early game. They play two graves or even just one graves and you're like totally screwed uh, if they if they open for it. But I'm brave about it because I I know that if you start with Piltover, you don't have to commit to Gunners. You can just play it off of an early get grief, just play for an early econ, and then just transition to Vanquishers because you both slam Last Whisper and transition that way. Um, so I had a backup game plan if that ended up happening. But I, uh, but I got a game where like everything lined up and I just couldn't beat the Rogue player. And I realized like two minutes after the game ended how I could have gotten first. And that happened for another game where I went second as well. I had two seconds. I was like, I could have gotten first in both these games. I just didn't know how. Um, and that's why I won. It's really hard to do competitive TFT. People always say, like, it's so easy to backseat because I think people in chat probably knew how I could win, but I couldn't figure it out in real time. Uh, and two, that's why, uh, that's why I'm a, I'm a, I'm a caster and analyst, man. I can <laughs> just give me two minutes and I'll figure it out. But if you give me 30 seconds or less, I'm probably not figuring it out. It's, <laughs> it's kind of hard. It's kind of hard, especially in the heat of the moment. Um, but either way, I'm proud of myself because, um, the most important thing was I felt like my meta was like really good as well, because I was one of the t people who really believed in TF. And more importantly, some of the people that I converted to Twisted Fate also did really well. Like, Milk was going to go Lee Sin for this tournament. And I spent, like, a day or two talking about it with him. And he's like, Lee Sin versus Twisted Fate. And we labbed it out. And you know Milk, he needs overwhelming evidence before he switches to something and commits to it. Because he commits hard. And so, it felt good to see him believe me. And then make, like, another really big run like he usually does in the final lobby. So, uh, I felt reassuring that, like... One, like, like I said, I could hang, but two, it's just like my ideas were great. And um, even though I didn't make it to the day four. Okay, here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. Asa got the day four anyways, man. Asa got the day four anyways. So the fact that like these two 27 players got through and then uh, they end up going into the final lobby. It's like the new Malala, right? Because that's what happened with, uh, with Malala for the final lobby. He ended up getting through into the top eight and then uh, ended up having a miracle run. So I'm okay with it, man. I'm okay with it.
And Sasuke, by the way, had another like uh, he he was he was kind of saying like, oh, it's like never Twisted Fate. Like, who would ever play Twisted Fate? Like, it's so it's like so bad, whatever. And then everyone's going through like, oh, if you play Twisted Fate, you're like bad at the game. And I'm like, ah, oh, you're not wrong. <laughs> it, I'm pretty sure playing Twisted Fate makes you actively worse at TFT. The more you play it, the more you like forget like some some fundamental skills. It's just leaking out of your brain. Um, but that's, that's terrible. Okay. I was doing like a VOD review and I was uh, with like Darth after day three and I was like, wait, like, why aren't you slamming these components? Like, how have you just like rolled the same components like three rounds in a row when he wasn't playing Pandora's? I, I have the brain rot for real now. <laughs> <laughs> TF brain. TF brain. Oh, man. Uh, we're going to go over more of the top eight of people specifically who finished, but let's quickly talk about comps. We did kind of talk a little bit about Legends um is there anything that was particularly surprising uh actually maybe you know we can even talk about it too philip philip nyama did you was there any specific like comps like what was your favorite game that you played this past weekend uh specifically whether it's like a like a well-known comp or just like something you executed pretty well i didn't start i i, I beat uh nasa's three and uh azir three on different boards on like the bilge water Mellow board by teching in a Targon Rise. Um, I actually felt like hella smart, like on day three. Ooh, um, a Targon Rise uh, tech. I kind of like uh, that. I just like Astro's what a Targon Rise positioning. Uh, and yeah, I mean, that was like, felt pretty good about that one. I, I think it gave me some momentum to like, because I, I think I was not, I was sort of middle of the pack uh, at that point on day three. And then like, I would like one, two, three to end the day and uh, got some bonus points off it. So yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, Neon, yeah. did you figure out something? Yeah, I think uh, my day one built over opener into Nasus three was a was a good one because that also like bailed me out points wise. Because uh, I think I think it was probably like not even at the cutoff at that point in time at that game, and then I kind of just got handed it pretty first. So okay, that was good. All right. Um. Well, I have the stats pulled up here, and there's some really interesting trends. Uh, the first thing I want to point out is um that the best performing comp statistically was when you're able to get Mordekaiser online and when you get Mordekaiser online with Noxus it was a 3.5 uh, on day three the, the two graphics by the way day three versus day four for whatever reason the spreadsheet that our affiliate was uh, putting together doesn't have both of them combined so I spl spliced them uh the second is just look at how wildly varied Nico is man you look at day one at the you have double troubles uh Nico Soraka averaging like almost a 6.0. It was like a 5.9. Pretty terrible. Uh and this lines up with my experience, which is like sometimes if you don't hit with this comp, you are just not even getting fifth. You're probably going like seventh or eighth uh, a lot of times if things are not working out. Uh, but if you do hit, look what happened on like the final day. It, you know, 40% win rate, like really, really high when you do end up landing things. Super feast or famine. But then the normal common variation averaged like almost a 4.8 with really high win rate, low top four rays. So a lot of like that kind of stuff was really interesting to me in particular. Um, also, Demon Flare Swain won half the games that it was played. So if you guys are wondering how B-Pads, like is Demon Flare really a big problem? It's a pretty big problem. Most people that most people who have played Demon Flare know how strong it is, I think. Uh, Gangly, you're the stats nerd. Any other interesting stats that catch your eye when you're scanning things? The Mord stat, you're saying Mord average... 3.5 on day three on day three on the first one on day three on day three yeah, yeah, yeah. it, it like yeah, did yeah. super well for some people and then the next day it looked like it was struggling yeah 
I, I felt like that that Mord storyline was actually very interesting because it was kind of this very natural arc of like day one open bracket nobody's playing Mord, day two open bracket everybody's playing. Well, more people are playing Mord. Day three it does super well, and then it kind of calms down for the fourth day, and it felt like this very I don't know almost like just natural progression that brought like harmony and balance to Mordekaiser, right? So I thought that was really interesting to see on broadcast for sure, but. It was cool because I know you were pretty vocal about Mord um, and you attributed some of your success in the open bracket portion to that. So mm. it was fun to see other people like really spamming that in day three. And we got to see, I mean, we got to see a lot of Noxus, especially because we were following Tetsuko who ended up playing that line quite a bit. Um, we got to see it quite a bit on, on broadcast. So it felt like a fun way to kind of tie that knot and, and see it all come to fruition. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, I had the legend stats pulled up as well now um, with... Poro being overwhelmingly the most common and Twisted Fate being the second most common. TF ended up being very, very solid. Uh, 4.15, 4.3, basically over the course of the two days. The big surprise, I think, was how well Earth was doing, but that was mainly because Goobums was having a, a lot of success. And Asa was also playing it. He got a chance in day four and then ended up going pretty far. Having seen uh, Earth. Uh, Philip Exniamo, are either of you believers in Earth? Like, if if you were to go back, would you have potentially have played Earth at all? No, uh, yes. I mean, yeah. I I think TF. I really like the TF playstyle, and uh, also like, I mean, I mean, like I I think because like you said, the Earth sample is just because like Goobums played it, and I think Goobums is an insane Earth player. I tried to learn the Earth line like uh, I think like set nine by watching Goobums stream. Uh, uh, that was like way too hard. My <laughs> easy TF lines. All right, that's a pretty good summary of it. And speaking of, we can actually just go straight into the player testimonies and kind of talk a little bit about what their player experience was. So we can start off with Goobums. Uh, so basically, what, for people who don't know, I go and basically message all the people who made Final Lobby and a couple of other people who made deep runs and had a special performance. Um, this is what Goobums had to say. He said, "Quote." <clears throat> I thought I was pretty bad going to the tournament, and I think even coming out of the tournament doing well, I don't think I'm very good. Wow. Uh, I think my success was in large part due to the understanding of the strongest lines well, like Ionia versus Bruisers, Vanquishers, Nico after day one. Uh, and I want to give a shout out to Pockygom, Ramblin, Asa, Dishop, and Kern for helping me work through the Nico line between days one and two. He means day three and four. Uh, because I went 1-4-1 with it on day two, and I could have done even better. Holistically, it felt like people tried too hard to shy away from the S++ tier comps like Ionia Vanquishers. And while I understand why that's enticing, it's important to recognize how and when to play them. I mean, I think he's he's really right. If there's one thing, if there's one regret that I had is that I think I had a couple of games I probably could have played it. And there's only like one or two people that sometimes it's like, oh, wow, it was actually so uncontested and I could have just played it. But like I defaulted to not playing it that I probably should have done that. So I, I, I think he's right, Gangly. Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's interesting to this makes sense. I think from like the Goobums POV when I hear this kind of tape, I think it probably does come down to like a stylistic thing. Like I think there are a lot of players in the field that like really just want to play what the game is is kind of offering them um, in like you know a meta sense. But I think there's also some players that like. Okay, the later we get into TFT, I think we're going to start losing the cooks. Eventually, we're going to start losing the people who want to play the spicy things. But, like, I think they still live right now, right? Like, I, and we got to see some of their success. Like, the Ram Kev making day four, I think, is kind of evidence that, like, there are the free thinkers that are still existing 
uh, you know, Pocky, I think was once upon a time, like a really spicy chef, but over time has like found his edge by um, just like being quicker to the game. And these days is not really even considered the player that's like finding his edge over the field at large anymore. So I, I think like, um, to, I think I'm thinking a roundabout way of saying like this take makes a lot of sense. There probably are a lot mm-hmm. of people who are leaving things on the table because they don't want to be contested. But in a way, I think that's like still a good thing because I, I I think a part of the life that we find in TFT are the people who want to say like, hey, this may not be the most optimal way, but like maybe this is maybe I'm stumbling upon something that has a lot of value, um, and I'm willing to pull the trigger in tournament to find out. Like that's that's fun and exciting. That is exciting. That is exciting. One thing I'm personally excited about as well is Deepay made regionals. Uh, and I, we got a chance to sit down with Deepay. He said, quote, I'm really proud of my mentality to persevere throughout the tournament. For people who don't know, uh, Deepay started off with like a seventh and an eighth or something like that. And in the day three, it was looking pretty ugly. Uh, and he made it all the way to final lobby. Uh, in day three, I had to clutch the last two games in day four where my physical condition was not good. Oh, I didn't know that. I think I really high this tournament and my skill was not completely there, but I'm really happy that at least my mentality pushed me through. Given my high spots, I think I could have placed second quite easily. I'm looking forward to regionals to show that I do belong and that I'm one of the top players, TF, top, top TFT players in North America. Philip, are you are you in that group with D-Pay? Like, do you practice with him? Or is, uh, cause I, I know that you're, you're, you float between like a bunch of different, you talk to a lot of people in TFT, so I, I'm not sure if you're part of that group. I haven't talked too much with Deepay. I think we scrimmed a little bit um, before mid set. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, that guy's a beast. I watch his stream. Okay. Uh, if if Deepay thinks he does, or like if people have the impression that Deepay doesn't belong, you guys might have some uh, coming for you <laughs> come regionals time. So, I think he's very solid. All right. I got a chance to sit yeah. down with uh, St. Vicious, by the way. St. got top 10. And I felt like that was worthy enough because that was his best result since set three set three and set four that was back the last time set saint had a good run was back then he said i thought i did okay but it didn't seem like people prepared that hard for this tournament to be honest and also the seating had to have been off i don't think i i didn't have Sensuka in my lobby until top 16 and asa had him in literally every single lobby yeah that's a i've got i've heard a couple of people talk about the seating issues it felt like it was kind of something was like weird uh i'm not sure if that's actually the case or just that's just random bracket look right I think it has to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I got a chance to sit down with Asa. Asa said, uh, I'm pretty disappointed. I feel like five out of the seven games I played or so could have gotten an extra placement or two if I just played a bit better. Wow, this seems to be common across everybody. You, you hear me say it, you're hearing Deepay say it, you're hearing Asa say it. Uh, the two main regrets I have were, one, hitting extra rolls on Serpentine River on stage two while open and just using all the melee since I didn't read that you could save them up. Oof. And two, taking literally an entire stage to make a difficult transition salvage bin in a game where six people started Ionia spat. I was 100 HP, 3-6, and ended up going third. I made double fawn on 4-2, but had dead units until I figured out my board on 5-2. I got item bench locked very badly, and if I just remember to put items on a filler bench unit, it's literally a guaranteed first. I didn't really expect to make regionals, but it just sucks knowing that, like, I don't know. But for example, if I only read what Serpentine River did, I would have made it. And that's, uh, that's gutting. Even the way Asa typed this out is you can just kind of feel the, uh, the pressure and, and kind of the disappointment wash over him. 
there's there's this moment um i think that every tft player experiences and it's it's moments like these that uh, that haunt you right it's like i could have gotten one placement here i could have gotten one placement here right and then when you just barely missed the cutoff like asa did here it feels like those moments you just never forget. I, I recently did this video with Pocky where we talked about some of his moments uh, in TFT history. And yeah. he, you know, he we talked about the Finn Callista, which was day one of regionals in set five, but in day two, he lost the tiebreaker to Spencer. And he talked about how he reflected on, on those games. He's like, I could have saved placements in so many different places. Um, but you just never forget those. Like you carry those those with you, like in in your competitive career, because in a way it's like you have to, right? Because if you forget about them, you're likely to do them again. Um, I imagine for both Philip and and Yamo that you each kind of carry those moments where it's like I I know I could have extended this at least one place. Yeah, Niyama, you know, you've competed for several sets, so I mean this this is this feels like a relatable emotion for you even, right? You, I'm sure you've had events like this as well. Yeah, I mean, I think after every tournament, like, when you're thinking about the games, you'll always come up with things you could have done better. Um, especially, like, like when I was in the tournaments I played in, like, set 5 and set 6, I was, like, a lot of times I was, like, like nine place, like, ninth or 10th or something, something like that, where, like, I'm, like, right off the final lobby. And, like, whenever you're at that spot, you're thinking, okay, maybe, maybe I, like, grief myself in like game two or something or like you make like a dumb positioning thing because you know you think they're gonna swap but they don't swap and, and things like that but um i think i think part of it is just like uh, you know you just have to sort of process that and move on with it because it's like if you if you if you're accurately identifying the mistakes you're making um you kind of have to separate out that from like the sort of emotions of like not succeeding in a tournament right because mm -hmm. you don't you don't want them to be like sort of mixed together yeah it's it comes with the territory i think the more tft tournaments you play the more you realize that happens to everybody like that's even happening to the person that narrowly beat you on tiebreakers they know that they can squeeze out more placements and and play cleaner and better tfts it's getting more and more optimized but we are far from playing optimal or right now like and so i think that's a really interesting observation that you're making uh if you're playing in tournaments just be prepared to have regrets <laughs> basically that's, uh, that's actually one of the nice things about setsuko putting up this performance is like i i think i gave up like seven eight placements which is so many but like i think even if i get all those placements back i'm not beating setsuko um so like i i'm still beating myself up but it's not as bad as like oh i could have gone first if i like didn't you know mess make all these like easy mistakes it's oh like Jesus likes uh, what is set to go on. I like that. Uh, and I, oh, go ahead, Gangling. Well, I, I was just gonna say, I feel like, and I, I'm curious, Dan, to, to hear how you feel about this. I feel like in more recent sets, play, player agency in tournament has actually been considered more of a factor than it used to be. I feel like back in like set four, set five, a lot of players who did not perform in tournament could very easily chalk it up to like, oh no, it's just variance. Like, tournament doesn't matter. It's a joke, blah, blah, blah. Nowadays, though, I feel like people are way more critical on their own play in tournament, which is, in my, I mean, obviously, that's like a great thing for the scene because it, make, it, it makes our wins more validated. And like, it also just naturally makes the scene um, stronger yeah, at better. large. I don't know. Do, do you feel that trend as well? Yeah, I do. I think uh, I boil it down to, I think we're just better at TFT now. 
Uh, I think we used to blame luck a lot more because we didn't understand things nearly as much as we did, and therefore we can identify it, right? Kind of similar to like back in the old days of humanity, we, di we didn't know how to explain things because we didn't have like science really figured out, so we just called it magic. Uh, and so it feels like in some ways that's what happens with TFT. Like in the very beginning of the of TFT, a lot of things that we couldn't really understand in terms of like what what was going on, we could we kind of just blame luck. Uh, and that's not really happening nearly as much. And I love that Philip brought Setsuko because I got a chance to talk to Setsuko. And it's always so funny, by the way, because talking to Setsuko is memes nonstop. This guy is just constantly like memeing left and right about, you know, isn't this trash or whatever? He's just doing his like usual like uh, Setsukoisms. And then when it comes to talking about a tournament, he's so dead serious. This is what he had to say. He said, quote, I think I did well. That was best at identifying the correct line to play on stage two. So many people prematurely commit the Ionia Vanquishers without scouting enough and are doomed to the level 7 lottery. I also think it was the first tournament where I executed at my peak level. Every tournament, there's many games right after where I realized mistakes that cost me like two placements, but not this one. Bar like one or two games, maybe. Damn. Uh, if you're talking about Setsuko at his peak, what was it, 1.96 average? Pretty, pretty insane. Uh, we have a, a quote from Robovan, who also got 8th in that lobby. Uh, top eight, rather. Eight sounds bad in the context of TFT. He got top eight. Uh, he said, I think Noxcott went really well for me, but I could have played a lot better, and I missed out on regionals, which made me sad. And that all just motivates me to do better next set. Rubavan made a really good run in the LCQ last set in set eight and had a really strong performance not joining us for regionals. Last but certainly not least, I managed to wrangle a comment out of Milk, who got second in the tournament he said quote bro i didn't care about this tournament at all weird champ that's all he had to say to me <laughs> and there you have it all of our testimonies from the day let's go ahead and do the second part of our the last big portion of our show which is evaluating our final rankings and how we did right as much as we like to look ahead and predict and think about how smart we are analyzing we hold ourselves accountable, Gangly, for the power rankings that we submit. And boy, did we suck. Oh, man. We had uh, Re-Replay, Kurum, Ramblin, Soju, Weijin, Robin, T-Lights, Kiyun. That is eight people uh, on this fi uh, top 15 did not make the top 16. That's our criteria. We give ourselves, you know, like a, being able to make the penultimate lobby. It feels like we kind of accurately hit the power rankings. But uh, alas, I think for some of these names, it's a narrow miss. Like, we replayed and missed out on tiebreakers for 17th. Uh, Kurum was like one point off, so it could have easily gone the other way. Very, very close things, all considered. But you know what the silver lining is? The best ballot goes to me. It's the first time I've won best ballot, actually, since we started tracking this. Uh, because I actually was tied with clear and goo bums but compared to clear i picked setsuko to win it and that's what happened and he picked dish soap nice. and then versus goo bums i had more people contributing in the top 10. goo bums got the most right but he put them all like 12 to 15. so if you go based off of that standings i end up scoring the highest so shout out to myself but at this point you guys recognize that this podcast as much as it's about talking about tft it's about also uh talking about my predictions i guess <laughs> I just wanted to say, like, looking at the uh, list of people missing, I don't think it feels that obviously the ones like re-replay Kurum, um, they don't hurt that bad, right? Because it's, it's so close to top 16. But man, we we missed hard on a lot of these names that I 
I don't know exactly how it lines up with like the what the worst all time overall ballot is. Oh, but that was uh, Eniko's ballot. Eniko <laughs> oh, okay, okay. one time went really haywire. He went like he predicted like the usual five or six, and then like seven through fifteen, he just like missed, 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 missed. But he like he really went for it. He like predicted a bunch of like unknown people at the time, um, or like relatively less popular people. Um, but I mean, that's what Eniko likes to do with his ballot. He likes to he gave it. He he put me on his ballot. Like, come on now, come nice. on now. I mean, he's got the vision sometimes though. <laughs> He's got some good picks. All right. So we talked about our 15, top 15. I did enough yapping. We always ask our guests for the review show to submit their own top 15. And we have regionals coming up. So maybe as a little bit of a brief teaser, we're asking these guys to power rank ahead of time for regionals. Who wants to go first? Philip or Exiyama? You both submitted. Um, I can go. All right. Exiyama. There you go. Don't, don't both jump in at once here. Okay, so Ex Niamo, uh, we're going to start with your top seven. So you put Setsuka one, Prestavin at number two, already getting spicy. Dish Soap at three, Milk at four, Weijin at five, Kurum at six, Goobums at seven. Then eight is Robin, nine is DQA, 10 is Dpay, 11 is Casper, 13 T Lights, 14 Soju. And 15th, Darth Noob. Now, you submitted this a few hours ago. Uh, and the first question we always ask to kick things off is, where do you perceive the first gap to be in terms of, like, these players are cut above the rest? Um, I think it's probably around, like, maybe, like, five or six. Because that's, that's when I started having difficulty with the list. I think my, my top five was pretty clear-cut. And then... Afterwards, I had to sort of start thinking, so I would put it there. Ah, okay. Oh, uh, re-replay is 12. For some reason, I just don't have it. Whoopsie daisies, let me fix that real quick. Uh, give me a second. Sorry about that. Dude, I was about to... <laughs> Dude, okay, so the funny thing about re-replay is that uh, he always feels like he has like a chip on his shoulder, and I guess omitting him from the list that he even made um, only uh, exacerbates that, so sorry about that. <laughs> Uh, okay, interesting. So what, what about precedent you feel like is putting him top two? That is a, that's a really hot take, man, for a lot of people. Oh, I mean, he's been doing pretty well on ladder, right? Because, like, he's always, like, really high up. And the other thing is, like, half the time, like, when I was thinking about this, a lot of it is also just based off how annoying people are when they're in my games. <laughs> um, like, like, annoying Wait, say more, say more, say more. Like, like annoying in terms of to like play against, not as in like you're third yapping or something like that. Oh, um, okay, okay. <laughs> I thought you're like, man, these guys are like my <laughs> least favorite streamers, and I'm like, you know what? Outside yeah, of Weijin, no, I'm like, I, I can see um, it at the top five. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. And okay. I think, okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, like, I feel like when precedents in my games, he always is picking like the right lines and like not briefing himself too hard. So it's it's also like basically. If I remember having like hard games against people, that's sort of also a plus. It's very much like a feel thing, but. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, okay, okay. And then where do you perceive one more gap to be? You said after like the five or six, do you feel like 715 is pretty close or do you feel like there's also like a band of players that are threatening and like are higher up than some of the others? Uh. So, like, I would probably put, like, 
um like Crone, Goons, and Robin in their own group. And Ooh, then okay. and then the rest as the third group if I had to. Um but yeah. But it's like less clear cut than like top five, I would think. Interesting. Interesting. You know what? Honestly, props they even put Soju on this list. I feel like at this point it is almost like trendy to leave him off top fifteens. Um but hey, I, I like that you did. Also, you put DQA really high, even though this guy doesn't even play TFT anymore. I mean, he does, but like, is he really grinding TFT? Not really. Oh, I don't know. But I feel like DQA can always pop off, so. He can. He always can. Especially come regionals time, right? He's done it twice. Okay. Um, any other player that you think that you want to call out? Uh, like, Gangly, what do you think? Is there any other, like, uh, number that you're like, oh, why do you have this player at this number? Well, I actually wanted to know where Niamo sees himself on uh, Ooh, I like the list. Because obviously you left yourself off the top 15. Oh. Um, I mean, realistically, I think if you put me anywhere within, like, like the sort of... So I, I definitely wouldn't put myself in, like, the top eight, I think. But anywhere, like, in the rest of the group, I probably wouldn't argue against that. Um, like okay. just overall, I don't think there's that big of a difference between any player past like the top group. So, okay, okay. So he feels like he can compete, and uh, he yeah. would put himself anywhere from what, like nine to twenty, I guess, is kind of yeah. where it is, depending on his form, I suppose, or meta read. Okay, okay. So Philip also put out a list. Let's go ahead and reveal that now. So Philip's top spot is similar he starts off with Setsuko at number one then he put milk at two prestavent at three and disob at four Diso really not getting that uh second place or even like contending with Setsuko in these lists kurum at five weijin at six and goobums at seven so a very similar top seven just rearranged then at eight we got t-lides nine robin 10 casper 11 re-replay 12 soju 13 darth noob and here's where it gets kind of spicy 14 philip puts vanilla 15 he puts jack all right so philip before we get to you know the last couple of spots which are, i think the the most interesting but uh this so at number four man might be the lowest we think we've ever seen someone rank disob i think it's not really um that I think Dish Soap isn't good. I think Precedent is just really good. Um, it's probably a little bit of like voter fatigue on my end with Dish Soap too. Oh, um, but yeah, I, I think Pigot is a beast. I think Milk is a beast. I think Setsuko is a beast. Dish Soap is obviously also really good, but like, I don't know. I, I just thought I'd give the nod to Pigot. Can you describe that voter fatigue a little bit? You're saying like he's not performing relative to expectations in terms of where people put him on the one two list? Yeah, I think pretty much. I think, um, I, I feel like Dish Soap never really has the the best meta read going into tournaments. Um, and like, especially right now, I think his strengths are like, um, I mean, like, obviously, he's a really good player. He's really good at playing around this, like, four cost, you know, flex, um, very, very pure TFT, which I think is not a strength of the current set. Um, so I think, like, if the, if the game is like better design, I would be more inclined to put Dish Soap. Like, <laughs> he's not. He's not willing to like be DJ enough. Um, All right. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. 
um then kurum waging goo bums do you agree with it niyama like kind of a gap after this like top seven top eight yeah i actually think that i would put anybody from two through seven at number two depending on like their form at the time oh, wow. um i actually like i actually originally started this list with goo bums at number two i i think that guy's a beast but then i looked at his um lp Oh yeah, it's not uh, looking too hot. He's grinding really hard right now as we speak too for DSG. <laughs> yeah, I mean, best of luck to him. Um, but like yeah, I think I think anyone from two through seven uh could be like in the number two spot if they just have like a good meta reader, like they're in good form. Okay, okay. It seems like T Lides is like getting more and more recognition here. You have him over people like Robin, who are proven commodities, tournament winners, and one of the most successful NA players. Uh what is, it, what is it about someone like T-Lides that has him as high as 8? Uh, once again, I, I agree with X Niyama and just that I think that the... I, I mean, honestly, that gap between all of these players is really, like, small. It's kind of hard to rank them. They're, you know, I, I, everybody's at a pretty high level. Um, I didn't realize Robin wasn't trying for an Oxus Cup. If he had told me that beforehand, maybe, like, it changes a little bit. But I think T-Lides has been a, like, consistent beast. Um, you know, he hasn't even been playing competitive for very long but i feel like he's a uh, very good constantly improving okay. um i thought he was re in really good form coming into nox's cup honestly i'm just surprised he got day three but i'd expect him to do really well at regionals uh yeah he i i, I heard through the grapevine not directly from him but that some of the spots were like actually just unplayable like you know with reroll sometimes you just miss and just just nothing about it you play cho from amazing spot you just go seventh that's what happens um i think that's what yeah. happened to him so yeah, probably just more of a fluke of an event. I agree. I think he's been putting a lot of consistent performances on. I think he, out of that group, he's some, he's been one of the most impressive people, I think. Okay, let's get to it, man. Vanilla and Jack. These are two players who have had tournament results, but not respect. Almost every person that I've asked behind the scenes comment about it. A lot of people say when they, they, they look at the results and they're impressed, but then they watch the VODs and they're not impressed. Specifically with these, I just remember, I know these are two names have come up they're like yeah these are people who are getting results but like i'm looking at them and they're not passing my eye test so when you put them at 14 and 15 i want to hear your justification behind that so i, I love to That's hear good. why those people are just haters and why they're wrong i think i think the results speak for themselves you know i mean i think um uh like i think especially jack i mean i study with jack um i told him i was gonna put him at 15 to make him mad i think i originally actually had him like a little bit higher here um, but, uh, I think that Jack is really good if he's not tilted. I think he just, like, tilts a lot and then, like, plays, like, questionable lines and then, like, tilts himself more. Um, and then Vanilla, yeah, I mean, like, I feel like Vanilla isn't the greatest ladder player, so he gets, uh, some, like, flack for that or, like, loses some respect for that, but, like, I mean, he's just been a beast in tournaments all set, I think, like, I mean, again, the, the middle of, like, the pack here is also competitive that I think, like, you know, again, like, a good meta read or, like, even, like, just like you know having a good night's sleep <laughs> honestly probably like moves you up like five uh ten placements um so for me it's just like i feel like uh vanilla's been a beast in tournaments and okay uh, I, I value that upside what is jack's greatest strength as a player in your opinion um i think jack is like pretty well-rounded uh like strong fundamentals uh has this very strong sense of like like good intuition around like what's um like quote unquote like proper tft i think that's also what uh you know sort of like uh tilts them sometimes it's because like unfortunately sometimes we have these uh 
these patches where strong TFT or like strong fundamentals are not always rewarded. Um, but I think like, yeah, I mean, I, I think he's just like a very strong fundamental uh, player. Okay, and then Vanilla, what's his greatest strength? Uh, I think I was a beast at high rolling. Yeah, I okay, I was like, gonna say it, man. I was like, as soon as a smile came over your face, I'm like, he's gonna say high rolling augments. I just, I just know. Um, no, I mean, like, I don't, I, 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 I haven't done super deep analysis of Vanilla's play. Um, so like, I, I can't really speak to. It. I don't really study like one on one with Vanilla. Okay, um, okay. But, like, uh, I mean, like, I think the results speak for themselves, and like, uh, you know, he, yeah, I mean, he, he just made top sixteen Noxus Cup too, so like, I don't, I like. Yeah. yeah, after he did well at mid-set, and he also did well in set nine's other cups. Like, eventually, if he just keeps putting on good tournament performances, I think people will start recognizing it. But I think some people need to see those latter results first and, like, more impressive um, specific eye tests, which, is, again, it's a really abstract thing that's arbitrary, right? So, I, I was talking about it on the last episode, but Sox's eye test is different from Goobump's eye test, which is different from Milk's eye test, which is different from me and Bryce's eye test, so... Okay, it's it's funny because I think to me actually a player, and I'm not saying this about but like again, I haven't watched enough vanilla's like uh boss for him to not pass the eye test for me. But I think for me, when a player doesn't pass the eye test and they like perform really well, that's actually like a, a green flag for me. Uh, I'm like, okay, like oh like, this interesting. player, like it, it actually like goes it. against everything I know, but they like they perform super well. Um so like <laughs> I feel weird calling the specific people out because I'm basically saying like I thought they were bad when I watched them, but they were cool. <laughs> like, like yeah, I, I think those are the players I'm like most incentivized to like watch and sort of figure out like okay, like how how are they playing or how are they getting these like uh, great placements if I think they're just like you know playing these spots badly. I, I love this take because I, I think that this has been a conversation for a while when it comes to ballots too, right? Where like there are some people who make ballots that are a bit more like reactionary based on results, right? And then there are a lot of people who are staunchly in favor of only ranking players that they have studied, right? That they've seen all their decisions and that they agree with. The, the take I've kind of taken on this though is that like if you are so fixated on eye tests, you, you end up, you have to be biased based on how you understand the game. And so when someone does disagree with you and like Philip is saying, finds results still, to me, I, I think like Philip has a really good point. Like there probably is something about it that you just don't understand. Maybe soulless pre-leveling. <laughs> no, no. Anyway, no gangly, no, no soulless propaganda. <laughs> uh, but but i do think like there's something to be said there that like uh, yeah if we're going to say the player agency is a thing in tft then that means that like at some level if someone keeps finding success even if you don't agree with it you have to you have to admit like maybe there is something there that i just don't get oh there's definitely something i don't get but uh well no i actually agree i think that um i like some of I think Vanilla is really optimistic player. When I watch him, I'm just like you just you just you just like believe, man. Um, and that's kind of that's it's it's a, it's more similar to Solus. I know we like to meme him, but Vanilla and Solus are actually quite similar in that respect. So we'll see uh, whether or not he, he's able to carry that into regionals. Because I love a good underdog story. I mean, I'm an underdog myself when I enter a tournament. I mean, I think Gangly and I love underdog stories. We love storytelling. That's like the whole point of it. Uh, at one point, some of these players were underdogs, right? You guys remember when Goobums was first breaking on the scene? You heard him me interview him. He was talking about like his first foray of getting known was because he was getting flamed by Kiyun and Soju for being like an annoying, like, like one trick player that they had to go up against on the ladder. Disso was just like this random challenger player that barely made top 15 in set six. He's like an Arcanist AP one trick. Now look at him now. So 
somewhere down the road, maybe we reflect upon it and we just laugh at how silly we used to think uh, about players. And on that note, let's go to our final segment of the show, which is Agree, where we go through some takes, whether hot or cold or room temperature, and we ask if the panel agrees. All right, so here's the first one. <clears throat> this one's very common, being perpetrated across many Discord servers, Reddit, Twitter, etc. Twisted Fate being an S2 legend means that the patch is poorly balanced. This is uh, in response to a man. I mean, I've heard, I've seen this so many times. I've heard it so many times. It would say like Twisted Fate just by definition cannot be one of the best legends in the game because if so, that means game is not good. Do we agree? Ex Niyamo, you start. Yeah, I mean, I think so, because, so, at least from my perspective, when I, um, so, like, going into Noxus, I was actually at Poro, and then I switched to Twisted Fate for day four, and, like, the mentality was that, my worst case, I just forced the Nyla, Bridgewater, uh, Bilgewater, Bruiser comp, and so, like, if, if there's a bailout comp that you can just force and have used a Twisted Fate for BIS everything, like, uh, I, I think that's, you know, a symptom of poor balancing. Okay. Uh, Philip. Uh, I'd agree, but I wouldn't really say it's about the patch. I, I think it's a little bit more about, like, the the unit and, like, the set design. Um, like, again, a, a big reason I'm playing TF is because, like, I, I just hate I just hated those spots when, like, you're, like, sword, bow, glove opener, and, like, you know, there's, like, three people in lobby with, like, an Ionia start. You're like, uh, you have like a Cho'Gath 2 or something, you know, and it's just like, oh, well, like, there's legit no play here other than to slam like LW and like opt into the Ionia contest or like play some like terrible Graves line. I mean, you're not playing Aphelios, there's no other four costly carry in the game. So I think like, oh, you're, I mean, I, I don't really think Challengers is super high EV from that spot. So like, I, I think it's just about, um, the, the current state of like, uh, especially like four cost carries in the game all. Like we highlighted earlier, having really specific BIS and having that BIS not really be flexible between them. Okay. Okay. So it's like more of a necessity, and it's not. It, it just it's not necessarily a direct uh, correlation there. I see. Uh, gangly. Yeah, I don't have too much additional to add. I I also pretty much hard agree with this. I think it uh, a part of it too, like bouncing off of what Philip said earlier, like um, committing really hard on stage two is so strong as well that I imagine, I feel like that plays a part in, um, you know, the strength of TF, which just, it feels like an unhealthy thing for the game overall. Yeah, I think so. Um, I do think that this doesn't mean that T Twisted Fate isn't skill expressive in some ways. I don't think that this means Twisted Fate um can't be like a part of the ecosystem and contribute towards a healthy metagame but i will say that when twisted fate is s tier it just it, and there's eight people picking twisted fate i'm not playing standard tft i'm playing a game mode um hyper roll when you queue it up removes the need for econ economy management uh, and that alone makes it so that the game is just different like when you don't have to worry about your economic thresholds of making gold interest and managing your goal and you're just incentivized to roll or like go for this big power swing turn it just changes the game in the same way twisted fate just makes it so it's like hyper robot for items like your items don't really matter anymore and it's like you just have to basically find a way to hard force it and you're playing a specific game mode in tft i don't mind it for the occasional experience i think pandora's items is a fun augment um and i think legends are a potentially fun mechanic 
I think this, this legend in particular is deeply problematic for TFT. And I really hope, I really hope if legends do end up somehow coming back to TFT in a future set, that something like this is never repeated uh, because I don't find it enjoyable. I even, you can actually, I have so many uh, conversations where I was just like, I hate that I locked in Twisted Fate for Noxus Cup final weekend. This is like one of my least favorite ways to play the game. Um, but I'm doing it because I think it's good and I want to do well. And also I think it's a unique perspective on the meta. At the time I thought it was like a cool meta read and this was, you know, a day or two before. Um, that's where I derived enjoyment of it, but I didn't like playing. Okay, second degree. This one was kind of a chatting moment, but I wanted to hear if there was any merit to it whatsoever, which is uh, Sasuko and Kurum X winning all the cup is also just an extreme side of variance, but the other way, right? Tournaments are still heavily driven by luck. Uh, and I saw this comment and I was like, do people actually believe this? Maybe. Let's go ahead and start things off. Philip, agree? Yeah, it's all luck. X and the Anima and I should be, should be there. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, the, the obvious answer is just like, I mean, Setsuko's average is just, it's just too insane, you know? Like, you, know, you can't argue that anymore. Okay, okay, fair enough. What do you think is the percent? Like, let's just say you had to ar assign some arbitrary, like, ratio of, like, it's 50% luck, 50% skill, something like that. Like, where would you, where, where would your distribution be, Philip? Um, I mean, for, for like, winning tournaments, I, I think there's still luck, generally, in, like, placing, like, top one in tournaments, right? I think, you know, like, I would say, like, 80% of the time you can perform consistently in these kinds of tournaments. Um. And by like consistently, I mean like you know make like a like day three, day four, um. But like obviously, like I think winning tournaments takes some luck because everybody is at a really high level, right? Um, and you know when everybody is at the similarly high level, your edges obviously become like smaller. Um, so like, uh, yeah. Okay, you didn't answer my question, but I guess I guess you said eighty percent, eighty percent. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. It's like um. Uh, I mean, I think it's a really. I think it's sort of a difficult question to answer just based on like what uh, like what do you quantify as like um doing well in a tournament and like how do you uh how do you assign like luck versus skill to any given distribution? Okay. Okay. Sound like you have the makings of a caster, man. You're unwilling to pick a side. Great. Uh X Niamo agreed. Uh yeah, I mean I, I think I think I agree in the sense that winning tournaments is pretty... It's not, like, all luck, but, um, like, I think luck has to be on your side to win. But at the same time, it's, like, generally, I think placing well in tournaments is probably mostly skill. Like, I don't know, if I had to do a percentage, it'd be, like, 75-25. Okay. Skill to luck for placing well. But, like, I think I think it's... A, like, because I think to win, you either have to, like, high roll your ass off or... Or you have to be offered positions um, in game that you're comfortable with, right? Like maybe you're just offered continuously offered blinds that you're comfortable with playing. Uh, yeah. And you, you yeah. Don't, like you don't even high roll; you just medium roll. But then you're very good at those lines, and then you know you do well. Um, because I mean, so like this tournament was obviously an exception because like Setsuka had like a like a almost like a whole like like a tremendous lead over everyone else. But like uh, for a lot of these like tournaments like when the difference is like you know three four or five points then yeah i think that's like a it's a luck thing but yeah so i mean i agree with the first part but less so with the second part i guess 
Fair enough. Fair enough. 75, 25. For, that that kind of that kind of sounds right to me because it's like eight out of 12 games feels like it's very much within your control. And like every uh, uh, every odd game or so, you're just like, ah, this game's like really hard or I'm just like low rolling or I'm not high rolling. Right? I'm like mid rolling, something like that. Uh, Gangly, what do you think? Okay, so I want to preface saying I think Setsuko is high rolling set nine. <laughs> I say that because, okay. Uh, I do. Like, as a whole, I, I honestly do. I say that because he has record breaking numbers in TFT. Nobody else, the close, the best average placement across the set we've ever had was set five, where Robin averaged about 3.35 over the set. Insane number. Everyone attributes Robin to high rolling, you know, regional finals and mid set finale. Um, and Setsuko is destroying that number. And I want to make sure I'm trying to be a little more concise because there's a lot of numbers here, but ranks five through 15 in the data are all about 0.2 placements away. Okay. Oh, wow. Setsuko has a roughly 0.7 placement lead over the next best placement with players with over 40 games, which is Kuramex. So just to get an understanding of the gap, he has essentially four times the gap over second than fifth does over 15th. So he is, it's, it's far and away, wow. you know, yeah, it, <laughs> That's not, yeah. So, so yes, I think Setsuko probably is high rolling. The thing is, I don't know that anybody else in North America is capable of high rolling and getting this much success out of their high roll than Setsuko is. Um, so, oh, and just like another number to add to it is if you combine set eight and set nine, Setsuko is first in average placement with probably, and I, I don't have the hard number, but probably a half placement over the next best player. Like his numbers with over 100 games, probably 120 game sample size in the last 10 months is far and away above anyone else in North America. So, I, I mean, it's like, yeah, he probably is high rolling to find the success, but I don't think it's, it, it's just pure chance that the second best ladder player, arguably best at certain points in time is who uh, has such a gap over everybody else in North America. And it's purely because he's getting luckier than everybody else in the field. Cause there's a lot of players in North America who are high rolling in these tournaments, but he's the only one that that's, you know, actually engaging with it and getting this, these results. So uh, yeah, there's definitely luck involved, but I think yeah. that Duke is also just infinitely better than a lot of these players. I like that. I like that. Uh, it's a disagree with me in from the sentiment of it. I feel like it's um it's an oversimplification of what's happening. Setsuko is high rolling. Yes, Karim is high rolling. You put other players in those seats. Are they putting out similar numbers? Probably not. Um, I, I follow another sport, Formula One. Everyone says that the the person who drive who wins the championship is just in the fastest car. It's not really about the driver, right? You just happen to drive a good car, and then. You compare drivers side by side sometimes they're driving the same car but they're not having the same results and i feel like that's the same way but other people in those seats they're probably averaging worse than what setsuko is doing um i didn't even realize he was multiple standard deviations better than everybody else across a large sample size that's pretty impressive the fact that he's half a placement average gapping over everybody else is uh mind-boggling i don't i don't even think people really can uh, fathom how hard that is to do right now um in tft so uh this this statement was disrespectful chat also disagrees 83 percent um i mean my 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 take whenever people ask me that as i say that tft is 100 percent scope but it's also 100 percent luck and it's all about whether or not you're able to 
the roll of the punches because the game does deliver to you uh, in all different kinds of ways and you have to be prepared for it. Last but certainly not least, this was a spark from interviews that I did after the show, uh, mainly from Milk. I uh, said that the current format of the NA competitive circuit has too many meaningless tournaments. No one cares about these cups. Uh, so let's start with Gangly, a person who, who I know who cares about these cups. <laughs> so I know that you probably will disagree, or at least I want to hear your thoughts on this, Gangly. Yeah, okay. Um, I think a lot, first off, a lot of people care about these cups. The draw of PFT, for, in the same way that there is a draw to poker or to Settlers of Catan, is that there is, it's a strategic game of variance, right? Which makes it naturally more accessible. And there is this um, certain element of like any given Sunday that exists in TFT more so than any other game. But the fact that there's so much player agency in the game means that like, yeah, there is this any given Sunday, um, you know, goal for some people. But at the same time, everybody knows that like, you're not going to get there unless you're actually the best. The fact to me is that like TFT has this opportunity to engage on these platinum and diamond players that exist in the space that want to one day reach that like path to pro and to me like that is what these cups represent yeah like yeah i get what milk is saying like yeah um you're not winning very much money there's no safety net of competing in these tournaments it's stressful and sometimes it makes you look bad for no reason and you don't really get all that much out of it but to me it's like if we want this game to grow if we believe that this is an ecosystem that's worth investing in then like it doesn't start with the top 0.1%, right? Like, no offense to Milk, but like, I think Milk, <laughs> hold on, let me be careful. Um, I you don't have to, that... man, it's our podcast. You can say whatever you want. <laughs> uh, I think that there are uh, a lot of really important players in the scene, and most of them are not competing, they're watching. That's the point I'm trying to make. Like, these cups are really important for fostering the ecosystem of the game. Um, and to say that they're not important, is uh, I think a really, really bad take. At the same time though, I wanna be respectful because like I get what Milk is trying to say. Like it really probably does not feel worth it to most of the players that are competing there because they know they're not gonna get anything meaningful out of it. And so I don't think that we're at our final form of what TFT looks like. And I, I think that like if there's a world where 64 TFT players can, can sustain themselves by just playing professionally and not relying on Twitch streaming, then like suddenly I think what Milk is saying is super validating because it's like, well, no, we're not just like a bunch of random people playing a cup that's going to pay us out $15 at the end of the day. We're professional players playing in this, you know, league or whatever it is. And we know that we're sustaining ourselves. Um, I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole because I feel like I can okay. ramble on, but Overall, I, I like I disagree with Milk, what Milk is saying, and I think that these cups are a really important step for engaging in the lower ELO but um, interested in competitive T uh, sphere. Okay, uh, Niamh, we're up next. Um, yeah, I mean, I actually, so like, I disagree with it because so one of the like IRL, I guess, sports I follow is tennis. That's a, like a single player sport. Like TFT is a single player esport. And while the format isn't identical, it's very similar in the sense that there's an overall circuit ranking system, and the way that you're ranked is your performances in tournaments. And there are smaller, you know, professional tennis tournaments, and there's the big four, big grand slams throughout the year. And usually, um, 
the people who get into the big four tournaments are the ones with the you know the highest ranking on the on the uh whatever the ranking thing is called and then there's some free slots uh wildcard slots that are also up for grabs for lower rank players so it's like i think it's very similar um to like a real sport analog and so i think it's a perfectly fine system um i do agree with the sentiment that it's not very rewarding because obviously like the prize money isn't very much and um, you know you're like most people aren't even getting any prize money so you're just spending like a week of a lot of hard work prepping and then a whole weekend playing tft uh, you know with very high stress and then walking away it feels like you're walking away with, with very little but i think you know that's separate from like the system design being flawed so okay. I, yeah and then philip Oh, for me, I mean, like, I, I kind of get why why Milk is saying it, right? Because I like Milk has been like, you know, he's I mean, he's one of the goats. He's been a top player for you know almost the entirety of the time CFTFT has been out. Like these tournaments mean nothing to him, but like I, I don't think that like really is the case for most of the scene, right? I think everybody's still trying to prove themselves. They like competition. There's like, I mean, the alternative is just like playing ladder, which I I also wouldn't think Milk really respects, right? Because like uh. You know, you have like these like vast series like one tricks just like hard like hard contesting your comps um i don't think it's like a great competitive environment so like i, I think like you would take tournament tournament over that um any day right so like i mean yeah i, I like tournaments okay uh chat overwhelmingly disagrees 91 percent. i mean i disagree as well for one thing if you if you were to take it literally because obviously he's not saying it literally but to say no one cares is asinine like a lot of people care both from the participants and the viewers that's one um but the spirit of what he's trying to say so that i fundamentally disagree with like what the way it's being framed but in terms of what he's saying is like is it not worth the time investment for him as a top player i also think that that is just a really i think i think i think it's like the people who say like regular season does not matter and it's all about rings ring culture right the whole idea is like you're nothing unless you win rings and i think what what milk doesn't understand people like him i think He's speaking out on behalf of other people, too. I know other people have said this, like Kiyuna says stuff like this. Soju says stuff like this, right? And a bunch of other people who are like popular say these are like meaningless cups. Um, I think that what they're what, what, what they are failing to realize is that by by really leaning into this mentality, they're setting themselves up to create a situation where TFT is going to be too much about things like ring culture and like all that matters is regionals and that world championship when there's so much bigger kind of what gangly saying we're trying to foster a competitive ecosystem that's trying to rival things like magic the gathering pokemon and other really big communities and what milk wants it to be is league of legends world championship what he wants it to be is like dota's international what he wants it to be is like csgo majors and i think like that's a complete mismatch of expectations versus reality I think in his mind, there's like, he wants to have it all. He wants to play online cups where he doesn't have to travel. He wants to not use web and cam while competing. Just, just, just do that. He doesn't want to travel. He doesn't want to use web and mic cam. He wants high stakes. He wants infrequent cups and he wants a lot of money. Oh, and he also wants like to be able to make a career off of it and not have to actually work and be a professional. You can't make all these things work. It's hard to even get three of them, let alone like these six or seven ridiculous claims that you're asking for. And so I, I think that it's not just a bad take, it's a terrible take. It's like a take that like, if we were to follow it, TFT would die in a year or less. And because mm -hmm. it's the same people, 
he, he's like, I want a 16 player regionals where it's only the elite of the elite. And it's like, well, guess what? You just shrink the player base. That's what you just did. And, and you just have the same, you have the same people beating each other over and over and, tr you know, like, and, and the, this ecosystem dwindles, actually. You don't actually grow it. And so if you believe this is a meaningless tournament, I personally say don't play. If you don't, it is not worth your time. But to try and like campaign and make a shift around the 0.0001%, and it's because that's where it is. It's not even the 1%, right? It's like the, it's the elite of the elite of the elite that wants it to uh, tail through him. I can't agree with that. And you know, here's the kicker. There's even top players disagree with him. Dish Soap says he thinks it's fine. And it's actually fine. Riri plays as he likes playing in these cups. So he's in the, he's even isolated amongst his peers, which I think is fascinating. Uh, I'm I sorry to put to Milk on the actual, uh, on, on, on actual blast, but he's also one of my closest friends in the scene. Uh, and I love him the bits. And I think that I, I can speak to it, but man, this was a bad take. <laughs> uh, I, I just want to say one last thing on this and I'll, and I'll keep it brief, but like the, the, thing that's so important about these cups is that this is the only opportunity for so many people in this space to break out. And I don't, yeah. I, I think there's like a very common through line of like the people who don't really love the cups is, are the people who are already established and have made it right. They've been here from the beginning. Yes. Uh, and yes. so they, they quite frankly don't need to do much else in order to be comfortable. Like all of, all of the, these cups are for them are inconveniences and, and things that like, they, I think these are the players that actually stand more to lose by going to a cup and going 60th out of 64th like i get that but it's important for like the growth of our scene it's important for story building and it's important for like getting engaged viewers who who say like hey i want to do that one day or like hey i want to make a local land or or i want to watch this with my buddies like we we stand against so much by these cups and i think we haven't even scratched the surface of the things that can come out of events like this well said gangly well said I think most of us are kind of aligned on this. I look forward to the next set of cups. I also look forward to a revamp system that's improved. I'm not saying the system is perfect. It's not. It, there's could be improvements across the board, uh, and I hope that they are. But changes are coming. We'll have may, maybe all of this is just fruitless, right? Maybe Riot already has a system that's designed that's actually really good and better uh, than we have for uh, set ten moving forward. We'll just have to find out. The final thing is to recap a couple of small things. The first is a fantasy draft. And in a stunning, an absolute stunning turn of events, Emily Wang ends up beating BoxBox narrowly by three points thanks to Tetsuko and Milk's incredible day four charge. BoxBox had all five of his players advanced, and we thought he won by a landslide. But as it turns out, Tetsuko racking up insane amount of points basically is worth two players. Just put it out there, 95 points. Compared to some other people who get, you know, 25 to 28 for day one and 50 points comp competing across two days, Tetsuko nearly doubled that. And so it's almost as if Emily drafted two players in one. That's how insane of a performance Tetsuko had. Incredible clutch. One of the biggest come from behind victories we've ever seen in fantasy. And who better else than the Wang that earned that title of the comeback champion in fantasy? Speaking of comebacks, we got LCQ. This is the last opportunity for these 16 players to make it. This weekend, I'll be co-streaming. I have Raidits, uh, and I believe Ramblin might be joining, but we'll see. Um, assuming he, if, I, I, if he doesn't compete, he'll be joining, but I think he's going to compete. But either way, we're going to be covering it. Uh, LCQ, two days, two spots. Let's see who gets it. It's going to be a good time. Also, shout out to uh, 
people who were able to grind for that LCQ spot. It was very cool to see uh, everyone kind of clutch on the last day. It's again, ladder, like people say ladders, like whatever, like meaninglessness, but like, you know, it's not exciting, but these snapshots are very exciting. Every single top four and bot four, especially coming into the last couple of hours is very, very fun. I have a good time with it. And there you go. That brings us to the end of the episode. <laughs> We're at the finish line, fellas. Let's get some final words and uh, wrap up this bad boy. So X Niamo, thanks for joining us. Thanks for putting on your webcam. I know it's like this is your introduction to the scene. So it was a pleasure to have you. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun to be here. So I'm looking forward to future episodes. All right. Sounds good. Uh, Philip, any final words? Uh, yeah, I mean, also, like, it was a pleasure to be here. I appreciate you for having me. And uh, yeah, hopefully. Hopefully we'll see you again after you win your regionals. And I want to. Excellent. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Look, I mean, if you win regionals, we, we got to talk to you again, if, especially if you're going to the world championships. So we'll put it out there. If you guys do really well, uh, it won't be long before we get you back. Gangly, any final words? Uh, yeah, I want to give a quick shout out to Clear, who made LCQ. And all I could think about when he was on that bubble was that we made him forfeit a solo queue game that he tried to play in between games at tc4 oh and then and and his tournament game couldn't even start because we had server issues um so shout out to clear for still making the lcq i would have felt horrible if he did not qualify and it was like a 40 lp difference that's uh, wild so you know what yeah he's a go to tft uh thanks for having me on Dan. <laughs> very very happy to uh to fill in for bryce Oh man, I had no idea. I had no idea. Uh, well, clear. Congratulations on making it. Then I didn't even realize that uh, things had gotten really close from that. Um, but yeah, uh, that that all sets the stage for this weekend's LCQ going into regionals. We're not going to do any uh, episode for the podcast of Don't Talk If You Don't Know around LCQ. We're going to roll straight into regionals. So the very next episode that we're going to be doing will be on October twenty sixth. With myself, Bryce Esports Law Blum, Michael K3 Soju Jang, and uh, one of his hooligan buddies that eventually will agree. We asked Tetsuko, he said no. We asked Milk, he said no. We'll get somebody. Maybe, maybe, maybe Precedent will rejoin the show again. That'll be really fun. We haven't had Soju on in over in like a year, by by the way. So it'll be cool to have Soju back on the podcast, previewing regionals, and once again watching him go dead last in fantasy, as is tradition. If you miss any part of this episode, you can check out our content over at two places, youtube.com slash at DTIYDK. Or if you want the audio only version, check out Spotify. Spotify uh, has our playlist. Uh, you can also check out the anchor feed, which is anchor.fm slash DTIYDK. From Frodan, Gangly, Philip, and Exniamo, thank you so much for watching. This has been the Noxus Cup Reviewed, and we'll see you guys next time for more TFT action.